Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hello, thank you for joining us for episode 20 of CRE Success, the podcast. Today I'm speaking to Edie Weintraub, who's the Senior Vice President at Colliers in Atlanta, Georgia in the US. Edie has some great philosophies about business development, including how everyone you come across has something to teach you. You'll also hear how she stays on top of what's going on in the markets where she operates, which includes the hospitality sector, and she'll tell us how she got the moniker Edie everywhere. I'll share that interview with you in just a moment, but while we are on the topic of hospitality, there are some great property businesses incorporating hospitality into their business models as a differentiator. Hub Australia, our wonderful podcast sponsor, does this in their premium flexible office spaces around Australia, specialising in five-star customer service, community management and traditional hospitality, with cafes and serviced meeting spaces in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. Hub Australia's workspaces offer all-inclusive COVID-safe solutions for businesses of all sizes. Whether you're a team of five or a large corporate team looking to upgrade how you work every day, visit hubaustralia.com. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Edie, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Let's step into the virtual elevator for your elevator pitch. Edie, who are you? I am Edie Weintraub. I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a commercial real estate broker specializing in advising tenants who create a means to gather. So in the world of build out, this is FF and E, food, fitness, and entertainment. I advise brands on a thoughtful strategy to enter the market, site selection, and negotiation. And while I'm grateful for a handful of national accounts, I am most passionate about educating emerging brands through um, helping them with branding and marketing to help tell their story to landlords in Atlanta. And new clients interview me. I interviewed them to see if it's a good fit. And I like to say that I'm the Jerry Maguire of retail real estate advisors. Uh, The Jerry Maguire, how so? <laughs> in that uh, I find that there are many brokers that have, you know, a, a large portfolio of clients that they work with. I like to keep my portfolio small so that they, I can give them the undivided attention. I feel that especially the emerging brands really need. So it's just you and a few Cuba Gooding Juniors. Absolutely. <laughs> my Quan. <laughs> now you said something at the start that, that was in my head and then it went out about um, the gathering, people gathering. What do you call the businesses that you take care of? So I work with, um, in, in the world of construction and build out, oftentimes the landlords say, well, you cannot use your allowance towards FF&E, which is historically fixtures, furnishings, and equipment. Okay. That's something that typically the tenants have to bring themselves to the space. And so I flip that a little bit and say that I work with clients in FF&E, fitness, food, and entertainment. Right. And these are some areas which I guess um, in the age of social distancing have had some real disruption into their business model. Absolutely. But I think at the same time, you've been able to see the creativity come out of these folks. So a lot of our boutique fitness tenants have worked things out with the landlords. And thankfully in Atlanta, we have about 11 months of the year that are pretty decent to be outside. So 
We've seen yoga studios take their classes outside. It's a little bit more difficult for someone in the world of cycling or rowing where those machines are not as easily movable. But we have another group that's called AKT Dance. And so to just set up a speaker and have an instructor outside is, is really a nice way of changing things up and in a way that makes people comfortable rather than coming inside a space and having you know 30 people in inside at the same time huffing and puffing as they're exercising. Cool, cool. Now, I, I want to ask you, where does the name Edie Everywhere come from? Uh, the origin of Edie Everywhere came about because in uh, January, February of this year, I wanted to kind of create a commercial or a story or brand myself because I, I felt like my story needed to be out more in public. I'm, I'm, I was a little challenged to see that you know, I didn't have an online resume at the time. And so I thought, you know, I needed to work on some branding. So I wanted to spend a little bit more time, especially this year, is that's what I set up in 2019, just working more on myself and my branding and my business. And so I met with the brand advisor and we spent a day just, you know, this is someone who is not at all in my industry and was very curious about who I was, what inspired me, who I liked working with. And after I shared with him that I spend, you know, Tuesday and Thursdays historically are my late nights. So I do have two kids, but I would go out to restaurants by myself and sit at the bar and talk to the bartender. I would walk around a neighborhood on a Thursday night to see what the traffic looked like so that I could advise and tell my clients, you know, traffic on a Tuesday night, on a Thursday night, you know, basically having that underground knowledge to share with them as I helped you know, support a particular location that they were looking at. So when the brand advisor said, well, I, I kind of see you as everywhere, right? You're having dinner over here and you're having drinks over there. You know, I, I really think that that suits you. At the same time, I had a gentleman who I'd previously worked with at another firm. He goes, wow, Edie, you're everywhere. And so when he called me a couple of weeks ago, he said, do I get to stake claim to that ED everywhere? And I said, well, are you asking for royalties? And he started <laughs> laughing and we had a good time about it, but it, it I just feel, you know, I, I wanted to let my clients know that I have a pulse on what's going on in the community and that I am well-versed in helping them pick the right location, something that suits them and their needs and their audience to come either dine or exercise with them. Well, I think the name is sticking because it was easier for me to find that than it was to find out your real name. There you go. Yes. It's, uh, I'm married into my, my last name. And so while I um, appreciate and respect, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit more inviting for Edie everywhere. Um, a little bit more fun. Given what you know about the retail marketplace, what do you think are going to be some of the emerging trends that are going to come out of the, uh, the current COVID-19 situation and are going to stick with the sector in the years coming? I think I had a glimpse into, I think, the evolution of retail and the shopping experience. I was in um, Bali, Bangkok, and Seoul in December, and just seeing how the world of retail and restaurant is in, you know, Southeast Asia is so different than the world in, uh, in, in the U.S. Um, my hope is that some of the permanent changes that will come out of it are, you know, just common outdoor space. There's a project that um, I have represented the food hall operator. It's an area that has uh, transitioned in that it was a whole bunch of industrial buildings and industrial buildings are not historically known to have bountiful parking, but 
this particular group in Atlanta who has been in real estate for a hundred years and they have been acquiring land on this side of town for many years. And finally, um, they've been able to put together a collection of industrial buildings that are tied together with insurmountable amount of public space. And so they had an event this past weekend for Halloween. And a friend of mine is very involved with the CDC and she was a little cautious about going to this Halloween event with the kids. Everyone wore masks, but you know, what she didn't realize and what I had to help educate her on is that there's outdoor space everywhere. So we walked in, we checked inside and then we got a bucket and everywhere you went, the kids were able to fill their buckets with candy and the folks that were serving it to them have a big spoon. And, you know, so there was no touching, there was no, you know, hand to hand. Um, And so because of the amount of outdoor space there, I think that that's going to help people feel more comfortable going back out because I think people are more comfortable outside at this moment um, than they are in being inside. Um, So I think properties like that, that have an, a, a wide variety of outdoor space make people feel more comfortable and will be in a position to excel once more and more folks feel comfortable coming back out. For sure. I've seen the um, the food hall concept and it's, you know, it involves uh, outdoor dining. It's much more spacious. Um, it's kind of like the, the COVID safe position between, you know, enclosed, very tightly packed diners and the other extreme of just getting food delivered contactlessly and eating at home. So just for our listeners who maybe don't know it, can you explain the, the food hall concept? Absolutely. So um, a food hall is a um, collection of vendors who are in a very small space, but then, you know, are, are serving their shortly modified menu. So maybe there's, you know, 10 or 15 items rather than, you know, a full restaurant that might have 50 items on their menu. So they're culling down their menu to have a handful of items and they're just executing time and time and again on the perfection of those menu items. So I'll give you an example. Um, The food hall that we're currently curating, we've got 31 stalls. I would say about 60% of those have a hood so you can actually cook within that space. And um, committed to date, we have sushi, we have banh mi, we have pho, ramen, pizza and pasta, We've got a confectionery, which is baked cookies and candies. We have a baker. We've got a group that's solely doing sandwiches. Um, and we're still looking to secure some spaces for fried chicken, for burgers. And the way that I think it's set up is that it allows people to have a variety of options. So I might go with my family of four and I might want to have just a smoothie and not that really hungry. I'm just going to get maybe a salad. My kids can go get a burger. My husband can go get a Philly cheesesteak and everyone is happy. And then we could get our food and then sit together either inside the space or outside on the patio or variety of different settings. So Um, One of the thoughts we had in curating the food hall is if we set it up where a group of 10 people could come together, each person was $25 and each of the vendors were able to do a $5 item. Mm -hmm. So that way you could have a, like a little kitty cone at the ice cream place. You could have, you know, a little bowl of ramen. You could have, you know, maybe a slice of Sicilian pizza. So you got a taste from a variety of different places. And I also think that being in a food hall or a market, it encourages people to maybe step outside their comfort zone and try something new by the group of people that they're with. 
There's a place in Brisbane, which is a sort of our third biggest city in Australia, which is on, um, I think it's on the port and using some previous industrial land. And there's a lot of food trucks that basically mm-hmm. come together and they, you know, they have a lot of communal dining. And I guess it's sort of similar to that, but a food hall is kind of like the next stage of a, of a, of a food court, but it doesn't have any of those fast food brands per se. And also it's a destination in itself, right? Because people come there to eat as opposed to just wandering into a food court after doing some shopping elsewhere. Absolutely. So I think one of the things that makes it different than being a food court and not a food hall, it's a little bit more creative and often draws the vendors that, you know, I've had a good time curating it because I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of folks who have owned food trucks And maybe we're looking for that next step in terms of establishing themselves in a more permanent space. It's been, again, uh, with COVID, a very tough year for food trucks because they're traditionally out at festivals in the spring and the summer and the fall serving their food. And, And sadly, there hasn't been those events. So that's been part of the group that I had been reaching out to. Plus, there's been also a lot of changes that have taken place with the place with the restaurant industry in that there's been sadly a lot of layoffs. And so some of those chefs that have been working at restaurants now are kind of left to say, okay, well, you know, do I open a catering business? Do I do a meal prep concept and just deliver meals to people and cook it at home? But there's also another group of folks that really loves that, you know, community and seeing people enjoy their food. And so it gives in a food hall, it gives the chefs and vendors the ability to come into a setting where they're not having to pay for a more traditional restaurant space and pay for their own water, their own electricity, their own marketing. In this scenario, they come into a small space and everything is handled for you. So it's a great launching pad. And I've been honored to be part of the story of these um, up and coming operators and I'm very excited to see them grow. Wonderful. Well, with the increasing use of uh, social media, I'd like to ask you how your approach to business development has maybe evolved over the last few years. Absolutely. No, that's one of my favorite topics. And I have no problem going up to a stranger and introducing myself. In fact, um, there was a an event that we went to about two years ago called FAB, F-A-B. It was a conference for women in food and beverage. And I walked up to two ladies who were standing next to each other, but they were not talking and they were not engaging with one another. And I reached out to both of them and I said, you guys must know each other. You're standing right next to each other. Are you friends? What's going on? What am I missing out on? And it turned out that they had no clue who one another was. And I was instrumental in introducing the two of them, but also spent the rest of the weekend with them. And we added to that group because anytime I would see someone walking past who didn't appear to know anyone else, I said, hi, I'm Edie. It's so nice to meet you. Tell me more about yourself. And I tell my kids all the time, I have two ears and one mouth, so I should listen more than I talk. And I think that's one of my secret sauce items. So I love the business development process. I feel like anyone um, that you meet and come across has something to teach you. And I do appreciate not only meeting people in commercial real estate, but I think to push once you have the lingo down to push yourself outside of the world of commercial real estate and swim in another ocean, I think is so enlightening. So to go back to social media, I mean, this year has proven instrumental in that there's no ability for people to get together in a more traditional conference setting or networking setting. And so I have weighed heavily on getting to know 
Instagram, and then LinkedIn. Um, I looked at my reach, uh, both upstream and then below stream. So folks that are in the world of architecture, I've reached out to and made a lot of relationships with folks in economic development to hear what's going on in your city. How have you been approaching the world of retail and restaurant differently, not only during COVID, but even before. And just hearing everyone's stories and starting to put together how I want to maybe guide my business a little bit differently or approach things, you know, with with the new eyes. And just to clarify, when you say upstream and downstream, you're talking about, for example, people in economic development will be talking at a very high level about what's going on in certain industries. And then downstream, like architects who are perhaps, you know, coming into um, the process after you have actually found the space for people. Is that what you mean? All of the above. Yes. I've been fascinated because I've met so many architects who focus on food and beverage and their approach to designing a space is often very different than one another. So how someone designs a space in New York City in a very small space is very different than someone might design a space in Atlanta when they have 4,000 square feet to work with. So just learning from them about how they are seeing the world of food and beverage evolve um, is something that I felt very important to expand my network and focusing on reaching out to them. You seem to embody a, um, a, a saying that I used to tell my team, which was that uh, ABC is not always be closing, it's always be curious and going curious about yes. what's going on around you, what's going on in the marketplace that perhaps doesn't directly impact you, but can give you some of that knowledge that allows you to speak to others in a more um, informed way. Absolutely. Yes, I am always curious. Very good. <laughs> so your Instagram is fantastic, I've got to say. Great photos, great videos. Yeah great grid layout and a great variety of content. People can find you at ed.everywhere and I'll put that link on our show notes as well. Um, I've noticed one post in particular recently with some great tips on how to conduct business as a broker. And I'm just curious to know what your intention is with sharing that type of content. Absolutely. No, I think that uh, I come across so many people who are very curious as to, you know, how, a commercial real estate broker is different than residential. And then even getting into commercial real estate, there's so many other factors, right? You could be doing industrial, you could do um, office, you could do property management. And so I think I just wanted to share with people um, the level of service that I offer my clients and what I do to make sure that I understand their business. I find that there are a handful of people um, that, you know, are, uh, I like to call them paper pushers, right? They don't really take the time to invest in understanding what that client truly needs. And so I don't think that they're in a position then to serve them and see them grow and be successful. So I have, you know, I've had multiple calls come in to say, hey, you know, Edie would, you know, this such and such client consider this space in my shopping center. And I'm, I'm embarrassed for them when I have to say, well, you, you know that we have a store in the market that's, you know, five minutes away. Are you asking if our lease term is coming up for expiration and we would consider relocating? Um, so it's it's about not only educating your clients in terms of where to position some of themselves in the market, but I do spend a lot of time also educating property owners on you know, how to appropriately talk to either, you know, the restaurateur or to me and make sure that people are doing their homework in advance of reaching out. 
Thank you for sharing that. I think um, I do want to point out that particular post. It was on Halloween this year, the 31st of October, so very easy for people to find. And what I liked about it was that, you know, you're, you're kind of being a resource for your colleagues and peers in the industry. You're demonstrating to clients what they can expect from you. You're showing prospective clients that they may not be being adequately served by their existing brokers. So I thought it, it, it really worked at many levels. Thank you so much. What networking tips or principles can you share with our audience? I think one of the most important things for me beyond, uh, as you mentioned earlier, always being curious is, um, you know, to always just have the confidence to ask the question because I have heard no many times, but if you can think a little bit clever about more cleverly about how to maybe rephrase that and ask the question in a different way, um, sometimes you actually get, get to yes. So, um, in business development specifically, I reach out to people all the time and, you know, sometimes, um, uh, here, this is a great story. So I had done research in anticipation of going to Orlando and I opted to go check out a restaurant that I had read about in a magazine and I ate there and I really enjoyed my experience. I thought that the aesthetic and the decor and the food and the service um, made me feel like if I had closed my eyes and listened to the music and just the sounds that I was in the streets of Southeast Asia. And so I went back to this restaurant, you know, a couple other times when I was in Orlando and ultimately I reached out to the founders and I said, I think you have something special here. I really would love to be part of your team and help you grow. And at the time they had one location in Orlando and they said, well, we're working on another location in the Jacksonville area, which is a couple hours away from Orlando. And I said, I absolutely understand. I'm from Atlanta. It's going to take a little while before you're ready to, you know, come across the state line. So if there's anything I can do to help you in the meantime, I'd love to stay in touch. And they said, yeah, great. Absolutely. So stayed in touch with them. I probably reached out every quarter and shared with them, you know, some news about what's going on in the world of restaurants in Atlanta or what I noticed in their category, which was Asian street food. So whether it's Chinese, Japanese, Indian, Malaysian, uh, Korean, and just kept them apprised as to what was going on in Atlanta. And then they ultimately grew a third location into St. Pete, which is outside of Tampa. And I said, guys love what you're doing. Every time I went to Orlando, I would see them. Um, I would, you know, sometimes bring them some chocolates or something from Atlanta. So they had something to remember me by. Plus everyone likes getting gifts. And so maintaining that relationship for about two years before they decided, okay, Edie, we're ready to go. We're ready for Atlanta. I said, awesome. But also in that time, they said, you know, we're going to work on a growth fund for our next seven stores. You know, do you have any recommendations? And I said, whoop, got this. I will make some phone calls and make some introductions. So I brought them um, a a good portion of of money for their growth fund through the, the networking and the connections that I was able to make for them. And, you know, that's not to say it was, it was me. I mean, they're the shining star and part of the reason why those investors invested, but um, it was good to be part of the team to help pull that together. And I was, you know, beyond doing a location for them in Atlanta and Charlotte, 
you know, I'm, I, I was not, there was no means for me to get compensated, but they saw that the value that I brought to the table went, table went way beyond me securing a location for them in the Atlanta market. So through that, I've been able to maintain my relationship with them and see them, you know, continue to grow um, that brand. So I think, you know, it takes a little while to, I think, sometimes get started and get established with that relationship. But if you just offer value from the beginning, then, you know, that, um, that trust is established early. And so when they're ready to finally make a move, I ended up becoming their first call. Thank you for sharing that story. There's a lot in that. I love the, you know, giving value. You've talked about also the cadence, how often you should contact people, which I think sometimes people have trouble with knowing, you know, Am I doing it too often? Am I doing it too little? You know, playing the long game, uh, being patient, but also continuing to offer the opportunity to support and letting them know that you are there to, to do business with them. I think a uh, really helpful story. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Um, what can you share with us about being and remaining successful? What's one thing that perhaps you remain focused on to keep you performing at a high level? I think, you know, I just, I love what I do so much and the people I get to work with. I, I've never woken up a day to say, oh, I don't want to go to work today. I mean, every day I think is something new and exciting and, um, you know, just having the right mindset and being positive and optimistic. I guess there's absolutely days that are challenging and that a deal may have died or it's in life support, but, um, you know, I know that there's always something new coming. And so just being open to, you know, um, and I think maybe this is, you know, kind of along the way, planting seeds and just continuing to water them and knowing that um, it will turn out exactly the way that it needs to. Um, I think that's definitely a great attitude to have um, in this industry, positivity, optimism, adding value, always doing the right thing. Um, I believe in good karma. (laughs) Um, But from a success standpoint, as you were, as you were referencing, I think, if you kind of put in your dues and you learn the business, you'll end up getting clients that um, will stay with you for your career and they will then be your best form of referral by saying, I adore, you know, how Edie puts our tour books together and I love, you know, her knowledge of the market. Um, and so those become, you know, the best way I think to build your business is through word of mouth and, Um, your clients being happy with your service. Well, Eddie, it's been great talking to you on this episode. I've heard your passion for the industry come through, um, talking about the importance of positive thinking, the persistence that you've shown with uh, some of the opportunities that you've pursued, the preparation and the professionalism. It's been um, really great to have you on this episode of CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Darren. For more information about our guest, visit cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Thank you, Eddie, for being with us today. If you're listening to this podcast within a week of it being released, you'll be able to join our Kickstart 2021 event. This is a live and free webinar that has been shaped with commercial real estate professionals in mind. In the webinar, I'm going to be telling you why you should be planning to succeed in 2021 right now, opening your mind to the opportunity. Then I will share some ideas about what you can do to get the results that you want sooner than you think is possible, thereby forming the strategy in the mindset. And finally, I'm going to map out what you can do to make 2021 your best year ever. 
outlining those tactics so you can take action. I know you're busy. I respect your time. So my promise to you is that you will walk away from our live and free session with at least three ideas that will help you get better results in 2021. It will definitely be worth the 45 minutes of your time you spend with us. So if you go to the bottom of our podcast page on our website, you'll see the form to register. That's at CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And if you are not listening to this podcast within one week of it being released, well, you can always go to that same place on our website to register for our next live and free event. Well, when I began CRE Success, the podcast, I promised 10 episodes and that was delivered. And then I promised, well, another 10 episodes. We'll keep going with this. And now we have delivered that 20 episodes plus two bonus episodes so far of CRE Success, the podcast. If you count the preview as well, we've got 23 episodes in less than five months. I'll have a couple more bonus episodes for you before we come back with another season of CRE Success, the podcast in 2021. Now, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, the best way to do that is via our website, CREsuccess.co. Just fill in one of the opt-in forms and you'll receive our free weekly training for commercial real estate professionals. If you want to stay informed about when we release season two, then make sure you keep subscribed to the podcast. Your podcast player might ask you, you know, do you want to remove us from your library? Don't do that. Don't let them do that. Just because we're away for a little bit, we will be back. And in fact, if you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do that now and go ahead and listen to the back catalog of episodes. To the guests, sponsors, and of course, you, the listener of CRE Success, the podcast season one. Thank you so much for your support and thank you very much for listening. I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at CREsuccess.co. Join pioneering landlords and property managers using technology and data powered by the leader in commercial property management software, Released. Born on the cloud, Released gives you centralized management of your portfolio with instant access to client and lease information across property managers, landlords, accountants, and tenants. With Released smart automation, managing single to large multi-tenanted properties with complex outgoings is a breeze, driving real-time insights so you can make proactive data-led decisions. Visit re-leased.com to find out more.